What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, welcome to the show. We're going to get started here in just a second. But first, if you're looking for the most convenient way to listen to this podcast, The Bob Seska Show, I have a solution for you. The Patreon app for your smartphone is the best way to stay up to date with new shows, and it's the best way to listen, too. Here's why. Every time there's a new episode, you're going to get an automatic alert on your phone, notifications for the free shows on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and notifications for the Friday After Party and the post-mortem shows, too. You can listen at home or in the car with a couple of swipes, and you can join our community of listeners in the comments under each episode. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month at bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Thank you for supporting this completely independent podcast, and now let the cartoons begin. Recorded live in the USA, covering the whole wide world. Right on! This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, July 21, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Suska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, what's up? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 183 of the Biden-Harris administration, 475 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSuska and on Twitter at BobSuska underscore go. All right, good and bad news here today. Our guest didn't materialize, so we have an encore interview for you, and it's a pretty damn good one, if I do say so myself. This will be my conversation from back in May with the great Andy Kindler, one of our favorite comedians and all-around weirdo supreme. You might know Andy from his podcast with J. Elvis Weinstein called Thought Spiral, as well as his appearances on The Majority Report with Sam Cedar. And you've probably seen Andy on shows like Portlandia, Marin, The Larry Sanders Show, and the animated series Bob's Burgers. His comedy album, Hence the Humor, is out right now. Go get it. AndyKindler.com. Links in the description at BobSeska.com. We covered a ton of ground on this episode, from COVID to cancel culture and comedy tropes in there, and all points in between. In the meantime, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at Patreon.com slash Show. Okay, here comes an encore interview with the great Andy Kindler. Hello. Andy, it's Bob Seska. How are you? What a pleasure. <laughs> is this a pleasure? Uh, yeah, it absolutely I is. I phony. Yeah, yeah. Why do I sound phony? Everything sounds insincere from me. Not good. <laughs> well, thank you for your attempted sincerity. That was nice. It was a nice touch right here at the well, beginning. What a wonderful treat to <laughs> speak to people on the 
phone. Isn't it amazing? It's so throwback. I'm trying to drag people back to like 1968. I figure, why not? <laughs> why not? You know what's unbelievable? I spent my entire life on the phone until there were no more phones. And now I, ha- I haven't had a phone conversation in 20 years. Now I don't want to have a phone conversation. <laughs> I, I jump three feet in the air when the phone rings like my father would do if he had a cell phone. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what I do. It's like, oh, my God, th- why is that phone making a noise? Does, does that mean someone uh, is on the other end trying to talk to me? And then and then I, I hope, I hope to God, you don't end up with a rectangle of cancer in your face because of this interview. So let me ask you. I don't uh, want that. Did you ever reach a point during the pandemic when you broke down and ate some bread? Did that ever happen? And tell us about the tragedy if it did. Well, you know, <laughs> well, the thing is that my wife is on a gluten-free uh, situation. So yeah. I have to, I'm hiding. Th- you know, it's like when we, we, first of all, for the first six months, we didn't even order food. We were so scared of the fomites. Right. Oh, you knew that word? Oh my God, I thought I was a genius and the only one. <laughs> I vaguely recognize it. Please explain what fomites are. Uh, but you get, you, it's, it's how you can get um, COVID from like uh, touching surfaces. That's what they were first scared about. Oh, okay, gotcha. Get yeah, and I may even have the word wrong. No, no, no. I think you got it right. I think it's fomites with an F. You know, along those lines, I have probably ingested so much hand sanitizer over the past year because we're always scouring all the food that comes into the house with hand sanitizer and soap and water. We're just super paranoid about the fomites, right? Well, you know what I was thinking about was, uh, you know, they have ultraviolet light, right? Yeah. So why couldn't they kind of like, you know, shine that quick inside? You know what I mean? Like right. a procedure quick inside and then he, I'll never forget how the look on her face was when he was staring intently <laughs> I know I no, know because he, he, he was going to go further yeah we could do a little look you know yeah, just a, a little bleach inside you squeeze a little bleach in you blot it up <laughs> yeah she wasn't going to he wasn't going to stop yeah, I know. You could see the light bulb appearing above his head. Like, literally, there was a light bulb, and he thinks, oh, my God, I've got the solution here. I've come up with the answer. The inventor of Trump steaks sold in sharper image stores and malls has come up with the magic bullet to solve the COVID crisis. Yeah, I love when he said once uh, to somebody, you know, he was recommending hydrochloroquine or whatever. He goes, he goes yeah. I'm not a doctor, but he, like, paused as if the person waiting for the person to go, you are a doctor. Were you kidding me? You are a doctor. I mean, he, I think he literally believes that's all it takes. And I was always curious how he intended to get sunlight into your body. Like, you could, what, you fill up a syringe with sunlight and pixie dust and a rainbow and then shoot that into your body somehow? I don't know. I don't know what his concept was for that. I have been sneaking bread, and but for the first six months, we wouldn't even order food. We were so... I did not... We made our own food. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, it's it's unfamiliar if you're, I guess, not a Quaker. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I mean, how do you, how did you, seriously though, how did you do I mean, you just buy the ingredients and prepare your own food? I mean. It's unbelievable. Yeah. They have books, bo- they used to have books. Yes. That you could, you know, put this much that. Now everything. <laughs> Yeah, you see why I don't do a lot of sketch work. Because my yes and my yes and abilities are very, very stunted. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, the, the good news is, is at least you had uh, your wife there to uh, to keep you sane. I mean, that was the thing. I, I can't imagine. Like, uh, I think we have a mutual friend in Jen Kirkman, and and she spent so much of the pandemic isolated by herself. And honestly, I was getting a little concerned there that she might go bananas at some point, but she was able to hold together. And I've been by myself. My girlfriend's been away helping her mom for the last couple of weeks, and I've been isolated by myself now for just a couple of weeks. I can't imagine how some people manage to go an entire year locked in their places by themselves without just you know going full like Tom Hanks in Castaway and talking to volleyballs and things like that. Well, I was lucky in that in many ways I enjoy, uh, because I have OCD, it actually helped my OCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the isolation in many ways um, got me to focus on how much I was rushing and everything like that. And yeah. and so it, I got to the point where I, I was like, why would we ever have to leave now? Yeah. Our houses. And, and this that we're on the phone call now, mm-hmm. way better to me, uh, way better than zooming. What do we have to see each other visually? <laughs> I mean, no. is that, don't we get enough of that? Yeah, that's right. And the other thing is with zoom, you always end up in those situations where the internet suddenly slows down and your face gets frozen in the most oh, awkward oh. place ever. <laughs> that's all I need yeah. is more delays between the delivery of the joke and the reception. That's all I require. That's People right. don't tend to get my material under the best of conditions. Uh, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was uh, quite an adventure. And now, as you've seen, I don't know if you noticed this uh, today in the news, but now the government has to warn very, very smart Americans not to put gasoline in plastic grocery bags, Andy. So I hope, I hope you're not doing that. Uh, I have a very terrible admission to make to you, Bob. Mm. Three years ago, I was, uh, four years ago, I was at a club and, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody smoked pot. It wasn't me, but I got a sniff of it mm. and we were all goofy and someone decided that they pour a little gasoline in a styrofoam cup and, uh, I didn't stop them. This was at a club? Where the hell did they get gasoline? No, we were like. She had ran out of gas. So we were like in kind of in a gas station. But then all of a sudden, someone said, yeah, yeah, you can put gasoline in plastic. Sure, that'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like it could have been. I mean, the only thing that made it funny was that we didn't die. Yeah, that's crazy. So the gasoline is in the styrofoam cup. And then what happened with it then? Because no one accidentally drank it it down. And what's that? It just goes through it. It it goes through the styrofoam. It just doesn't. It doesn't retain it, much like the plastic. Is that what will happen with the plastic bag? It'll go right, right through. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I am. I need that kind of warning. I, I assume so. I mean, I normally just put Brondo in my plastic grocery bags. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> just putting uh, gasoline in there. I imagine it was kind of like that scene from Breaking Bad where they fill up the bathtub with the acid to dissolve the body, right. and the, the bathtub just goes right through the floor. <laughs> it's just a disgusting you to mess. Mention- you mentioned a show that I happen to have binge watched, and I'm very excited about it. Yeah. A lot of times, if you said Ozark to me, boom, I got nothing. <laughs> oh, you didn't watch Ozark yet? What's wrong with you? You haven't seen that one? I saw the first episode. It seemed good, but I have so many things to worry about. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I don't know if I can get into a new thing. 
Yeah, yeah. That's just my thing. It's just we're overloaded now with so much entertainment. There's just like too much entertainment. And especially during the past year with the pandemic, it's like, oh, have you seen, have you watched Resident Alien yet? I will definitely well, check that, that Joe, out. Everyone loved Joe, uh, what was it, Joe uh, Tiger, whatever his name was. Exotic Joe Tiger. Oh, the Tiger King. Was it the Tiger King? Tiger. Yeah, now I watch, I um, uh, I binge uh, podcasts, all kinds of podcasts like that. And this one was starting to get on my nerves before it got popular because it was like, but, but I mean, I know why it was popular, but I do think that really took off way bigger because of people were forced to watch it. Yeah. I was always curious about that because it seemed like, wow, these are awful people. These are terrible, terrible people doing <laughs> terrible, terrible things to animals. And everyone's just falling in love with the Tiger King guy and his mullet. And I, I didn't actually I didn't actually watch it, Andy. <laughs> so I'm sitting here you evaluating. I think you- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, it really, you really didn't miss anything there. Okay, good, good. Because I thought, all right, well, these are tigers being abused by rednecks. Uh, what's what's not to like? <laughs> Why am I not watching oh, this? Because it is over. The thing is, when they're good, when it's a good true crime thing, it's not so over the top. So, because I've been binging uh, true crime, because as I said in my act, mm-hmm. my wife and I, we couldn't watch Trump anymore. We would watch a Dateline where a mother drives her whole family off the cliff just to take the edge off of Trump. Just yeah. to relax a little bit. <laughs> I know. I know everything. Watch someone cut up their entire family just to take it all. Yeah. Relax. Yeah. This is a lot better than watching Trump's COVID show every afternoon there for a while. Right. Yeah. I know my, my wife couldn't hear one word of his and then it would be like, we would both just get ill. <laughs> You know, uh, Andy, you were born the same year as one of my other favorite guests, uh, Larry Charles. He's the director of Borat. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with him. He's one of the legendary writers on sure. Seinfeld. And you guys are both from Queens. And last time I talked to Larry, he told me all about uh, growing up in one of Fred Trump's buildings. Did you guys ever have, uh, growing up, ever have encounters with the, the Queens Clampets, well, the Trumps? My father was a gas and heating contractor. Wow. And he and Trump was one of his clients. And mm. you're not going to believe this. Trump did not pay my father. I was just going to say your he dad never to, got paid. Yeah, right. And my father hated <laughs> Trump. My father was the first person in my life that I knew who hated Trump. One year is a joke. We got him for his birthday, the uh, Art of the Deal, the board game. And we thought uh, he'll, he'll love this. He's like, why'd you buy me? Why'd you buy me this? <laughs> because because you hate you hate Trump because and of course we woke up the next day and go, and go what bunch of idiots are what's what's funny about that prank I know he hates Trump <laughs> and we bought him a Trump oriented item what was the what was the outcome of that uh, idea what did you think was going to happen at the end of that one but we thought he would laugh like ha 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 <laughs> you know how much I hate Trump you <laughs> dog. Right, yeah, right. Get out of here, you nutcase. But that's not what happened. He, it reminded him, as he saw Trump's hideous face on the, on the front of the board game, it just made him more depressed. <laughs> <laughs> was your dad... Uh, it was very funny. Was your dad typically a funny guy? Uh, what was your... Are, you yes. fo- are, they still, are your folks still around? They're not still around. My dad, I had this joke where I said my uh, dad died in January uh, 2015, and I just want to say thank you, God. Thank you. We didn't have to see uh, oh, yeah. Trump 
we, uh, I, and I, and I, and I thank you for that. Now the audience would always get weird, but I would say, uh, mm. you know, look, it's my father, who else am I going to joke about? But, uh, yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> he, I don't think you could have, I don't think he could have handled it. Yeah, well, I mean, knowing how notorious those people were in Queens alone, just that personal experience by itself, much less all of the other horrible things that stacked up, and beginning around 2015. Yeah, that the timing was, I mean, if you, if this is even possible, the timing of your dad's death was pretty fortuitous, right? So That's you, right. I, yeah. It's so funny because I would talk about it on stage. People would say, uh, uh, you, you know, you, uh, you can't talk about, yeah, it's like, you know. And I said, yeah, my father, he would have wanted me to do weak material about his passing. Let me tell you that. <laughs> before I passed, before I passed, he pulled me aside. He said, Andy, when this is all over, I hope you turn it into another one of your bits that goes nowhere. <laughs> was there ever a point where Trump stopped being good for comedy? I mean, that was the whole thing. I mean, uh, comics, everyone who at least had one foot in the world of comedy was going, oh, Trump's going to be great. I can't wait for Trump. If Trump becomes president, this is going to be amazing. We're going to have endless, limitless material. Uh, at what point, though, did that kind of peter out? And you suddenly realize, oh, shit, this is actually really bad. This is not good at all. Was there a moment in time well, or was it always like that for you? It was always bad for me because I really... I really didn't think the country would survive I, I, if he got a, 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 a you know, if he got elected. So I was really depressed about the whole thing. But it was there was it was he was continuously hilariously uh, terrible. And the thing is about you know, I've hated him forever. I did a thing on Comedy Central. They used to have a, a show called uh, The Root of All Evil, mm -hmm. and I argued it was it was uh, whether. Trump was the root of all evil or Viagra was the root of all evil. This is like in 2008 and, and it's online. You can see it. it's like, you know, I hate to say I was prescient or whatever that word is, but I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be that pressure. I, I really was, I think, uh, majorly depressed from the end of the, uh, of the election till, uh, till the next election. Oh yeah. yeah. I didn't see it being that funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot of you? yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of uh, humor to be gathered from fascism. I mean, we tried to make some of the shit funny. I mean, you try to look at the way he talks and the way he behaves and just the gratuitousness of the lying, just the proud, defiant. I'm fucking with all of you, but right. I'm not going to tell you because you already know. You already know that I'm yes. fucking with you. I mean, it was just like it was that, and you try to make the best of it, and you try to get through it with your head down and, and pushing forward and trying not to you know, take a running leap off of a cliff or something like that. But uh, at the same time, ultimately, there was nothing hysterical about fascist idiocracies. It was just exactly what we came out of or what we went through and have come out of temporarily. But it's just lurking right around the corner. And, and that's what that's the I, big fear. So I still feel like it's like, ah, shit, it, you know, you got to kind of find the funny somewhere. But at the same time, it's like, an, like uh, the Bugs Bunny cartoons where the anvil is just hanging over your head waiting to drop. And uh, yeah, that's what it's and like. I, now. And also, I had so many jo I had so many jokes. And then like, you know, for, like uh, I said, do you think uh, German cable news in 1933? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> had stories like this. Do you think Hitler's going to pivot? Do you think there's a chance? When's Hitler going to pivot? And then I would do these jokes like, Trump is worse than Hitler because at least Hitler served. Yeah. He was in the army. <laughs> he, he, he saw action. So, I mean, I, I had so many of those, but then uh, even those 
oh, you can't keep doing them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Okay, we'll get back to our encore conversation with Andy Kindler here in just one second. But first, if you ever catch yourself thinking when looking in the mirror, I wish those under eye bags would just go away. Well, you're not alone. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women until now. Introducing the new GenuCell serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Susan from New Jersey wrote, quote, I've been using GenuCell for a couple of months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared, and they haven't come back. I love the product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids, unquote. With its instant effects, Chamonix says you'll see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. They guarantee it. Order now and get 50% off all GenuCell packages for summer. Go to lovegenucell.com slash Stephanie. That's lovegenucell.com slash Stephanie. Link in the description. lovegenucell.com slash Stephanie. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, gets uh, debated quite a bit on Twitter these days with regard to Trump is this idea of, oh, if we just ignore him, he'll stop doing whatever it is he's doing. He'll he'll yeah. dis- suddenly discover that he's not as popular and he'll stop being a dick or something like that. That's kind of the <laughs> logic. And I thought, you know, can you imagine coming out of uh, World War II and saying, you know, the, the remaining Nazis that fled to Argentina, if we just ignore them and don't go after them, maybe there won't be any nazis uh, anymore and that's of course yeah, not what happened no and, and and the thing is it's like you know the only thing i do like sometimes people will tell me don't retweet some idiot yeah. like ben whatever his name is shapiro or something right. or don't give him more don't give him more credit and so sometimes i do believe that like i'll take a screenshot sometimes because you know these people like candace owens and all these people yeah that's all they want is to say something horrible or you know i feel the same way about bill maher you mm-hmm. know i i i i used to you know his show i thought was interesting and then he he, he gets into that whole thing of like i'm just gonna say i don't care what i'm gonna say whatever's on my mind yeah yeah you know Yep. Uh, I, it, it, no matter if it's if it's right or it's wrong, if I thought it out or I didn't think it, out. so it's like people like him. Like I, I really feel this way. His career is based on the only he is like a uh, like a, a politician kind of guy in a uh, or James O'Keefe because yeah. he is based on stunts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. In fact, you know, the other day you tweeted the other day, making fun of the concept of being woke is the new stupid. And I thought that was a great thought. I mean, one of the things that makes it particularly stupid is that it was co-opted from black people. The word woke. It's a black colloquialism. And the whitest people ever co-opted that word and then proceeded to bastardize it into an insult. And they say America's not a racist country. Right, Andy? <laughs> Like, oh, oh my well, God. You know, what you're saying is what you're saying is unbelievably true. And what it's really been true is this guy who I've had a feud with for years, although now I don't even care. But it's like this Sam Harris guy mm-hmm. who's this um uh that that's his all he does every five minutes, he goes, But there's these woke people. He sound they've gone from where they were just they were their their shtick was atheism, yeah. new, you know, new atheists, which uh, I never thought would be that pop. I mean it's, it's doesn't sound that much fun. <laughs> but, it's like, uh, but then it went straight from atheism to this right wing. It's the same people who say, uh, who are trying to say people can't be trans or they can't, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just this new way of attack. And the fact that you, like you say, it, it's so, it's so racist. Yeah. And, and, and this guy, Sam Harris has been like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Oh yeah. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. 
Yeah, he's uh, Sam Harris is one of the regulars on Joe Rogan's podcast. Where I, I kind right. of I refer to Rogan's podcast as uh, the Johns Hopkins of bro science, and that's exactly. <laughs> I mean, That's made exactly up. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in and of itself, in in normal times, fine. Do your bro science. Talk about your pseudoscience and your space aliens and your Sasquatch and all the rest of it. But right now, we're running into a severe problem in this country, Andy, where uh, a lot of people can't tell the difference between fiction and reality. I mean, the the dividing right. line between fiction and reality is enormously blurred for people. We're being bombarded with information and so many of us are going well i don't know what the hell's true or what's false or whatever so i guess i'll believe this nonsense this bro science that says if you're 20 years old and healthy you don't need to get a vaccine and that's it drives me bananas yeah how about the comedians it's like in the old days it used to be like uh you know bad comics would just annoy me because they'd ask what part of uh Mm -hmm. of the chicken does the mcrib come from now you've got these people like adam carolla just telling you not to get back right you know it's like it's actually their terrible material is dangerous now yeah not just bad Mm -hmm. are you are you still doing the state of the industry roasts i mean explain how that first of all explain how that came about because it's seriously a ballsy move to stand up and evaluate other comics publicly he's got to have it's got to put a target on your back or something doesn't it oh yeah and i and people if anybody ever says oh boy that kindler spiritless i can assure you that i <laughs> i shake in my shoes often <laughs> uh, the other day i was drinking a uh, a thing and it had the name of the company on it and i was like oh i wonder if i can have this on uh, on camera it's like actually yeah i'm sure lenny bruce worried about that kind of <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, see, here's my thing. I delude myself into thinking, like, I'll talk about other podcasters or other politics people, and I go, I, I just delude myself into thinking, well, there's no way they're listening to this. They're never going to find out, so I'm yeah. just going to blah, 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 blah. That's how I get through it without shitting myself. <laughs> well, I know that you probably are like me in that you just can't not say these things, and I've been this way my whole life. So yeah. when I first started to do it in, uh, like, Montreal – I, I did this thing on, on um, I demonstrated how to be a hack comic. And then the next year they said, come back. And my, my manager rec- recommended the uh, state of the industry. And so for like, since 1996, I've been doing this speech where I like name names and all, and definitely hurt work, you know, like uh, guys like Sandler ended up hating my guts. Wow. And you know, so I, was, I, was, I was thinking about Sandler last, uh, and it's like, I hated him for so long and I would make fun of him and he would, you know, he would be angry at me and he'd have all of his, uh, you know, he has like a whole entourage uh, mm-hmm. around him that, that say, and I'm watching this funny people. I'm like, I can't, even fun- I can't believe this is a movie. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it. It's a three hour <laughs> thing where Sandler has cancer. And he's, I mean, it's like, and I realized the reason why I can't stand him. It's like, he's the guy who would beat me up in Long Island when I grew up in Queens. That's it. Larry Charles is yeah. talking about Queens. Yeah. They're all guys like Sandler yeah. who are going, you have a funny voice. And then they, uh, they give you, they give you noogies. I grew up, yeah. by the way, you said about Larry Charles, I grew up in uh, Whitestone, which is right like 10 minutes from Shea Stadium. Oh, wow. So it was like yeah. basically the same neighborhood. You know, it's, it's funny with Sandler. He doesn't make movies. He makes cynical cash grabs. <laughs> 
That's what I always think. Like he's figured out a way to construct his budgets so that he can yeah. give all of his buddies a payday and make just a hunk of shit. And the way they've constructed the budget, it's going to make money no matter what. To see all those guys get cars. But the thing is, he, the thing is, and, but on the other hand, he's so hyped because I used to love Sandler when he was a stand up. That's what the yeah. disappointment was from when he, you know. But it's like um, he is so thin skinned. Like I heard, he won't even say, he doesn't. You can't review his movies before mm-hmm. they come out. And uh, I would be have more respect for him if he goes, "Yeah, I know it's shit." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be better. <laughs> yeah, but he thinks it's also good. I think. Well, I mean, here's the thing with you, Andy. Uh, I mean, you're you you criticize other comics, and it's all well founded, I assure you. But you also famously deconstruct your own act while you're doing it. I mean, that's kind of your thing, where you're talking about your life, but you're also showing how your the jokes are coming together and what in particular uh, you were thinking when you created that joke. And uh, it's immensely entertaining. In fact, one of my favorite jokes on your new album uh, called Hence the Humor is when you say you were the first comic to ever laugh at your own joke as if you heard it for the first time, which is was one of the great stand-up it. tropes. Yeah, I can't help it. I drag myself up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. As if you haven't gone over that line over and over and over and over again, constroned it down, and then you're still pretending to laugh at your own joke, uh, which is the joke. I used to love the planned mistake. It was like, it was very, very cold. So I went inside and I put my uh, coat on a hooker. Did I say to put my coat on a hooker? Because if I did, I have 45 minutes on it. <laughs> what are some of like your least favorite stand-up tropes? Like something a lot of people don't. Like years and years ago, you used to always be about the airplane peanuts and stuff like that, you know? Uh, <laughs> but what are some of the newer ones? Like what are some of the uh, stand-up tropes that bug you right now? Well, you know what? It's, it, more what bugs me is, uh, is because Twitter now, I, lo- I kind of, you know, everyone has a love-hate relationship with Twitter. Yeah. But the most hacky things are on Twitter now because it's like, because science, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> yes, I know exactly. Said no what you mean. one ever said no one ever. With apologies to cancer. Yes. You know. Yeah. That's my so least favorite like, one. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, oh yeah. And yeah. I I go for that joke a lot too. Sorry, yeah. cancer. He's worse than cancer. He's like cancer. Sorry, cancer. <laughs> That's the thing too. Well, that's, I mean, it's one thing, it's one thing to do that joke. It's another thing to do that joke when 30 other people have already done the joke in the same thread. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. It's like, it's it's like watching Crystal Lizza try and be funny. (laughs) There you go. That's perfect. That's exactly what Crystal Lizza would do to try to be funny. He thinks he's funny. Don't you think he thinks he's kind of funny? Yes. Oh, he thinks he's the cleverest man in the history of men. That's what (laughs) Crystal Lizza is all about. That's like his central thing. You deconstruct jokes. Crystal Lizza thinks deep in his heart that he's funny. And when, in fact, he's actually Lieutenant Halk from Good Morning Vietnam. Crystal Lizza (laughs) is the Bruno Kirby character from Good Morning Vietnam. Which is probably the worst insult I think you could ever levy against a funny person. Oh, you're just like Bruno Kirby in Good Morning Vietnam. It's like the that's uh, yeah. the one that must cut you to the quick if you ever hear it. I'm not saying you have, but but, you know. but, but the, on the other side, you could say Bruno Kirby in Modern Romance. Oh, there you fantastic. go. Yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> you know, it's and like, I love him. I love him in. I love him in uh, Spinal Tap. Oh yeah. Where, oh where my guy, god. He's reading the book. He's reading his Yes, I Can, and he goes, "That book should be called Yes, I Can if Frank says it's okay." <laughs> and then the window goes slowly <laughs> up to shut him out. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, yeah, you know, I uh, I mentioned her earlier. I really admire how Jen Kirkman handles uh, oh, yeah. replies on Twitter. She doesn't oh, take any point. shit. She's the greatest. Yes. She's <laughs> not afraid to go, fuck you and your fucking stupid reactions. I'm deleting this entire thread. And it's just like, you, you got to stand up and cheer for that because she's saying what we all want to say, but which we're not suicidal enough to say. You know what I mean? She has an app where she can block many more than one person at a time. She gets so much blocking. <laughs> she's, a, she's my favorite. She might be my favorite comedian. She is like, I love seeing her live. I love everything that she mm-hmm. says. Mm-hmm. And I love when she goes through pain yeah. and struggles. Yes. Great. <laughs> she is masterful. <laughs> and of course, her five amazing appearances on Drunk History, in which she was basically like the centerpiece of that show. She was like the Charles Nelson Riley of uh, Drunk History. I have History. not seen her on that. I yeah. have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I, she I At one point, she is so hammered, she ends up in a swimming pool, I think, at the end. And... <laughs> It's really, it's really entertaining. It, it convinced her. I mean, she st- she told me on the show, she said uh, that uh, she would get so blackout drunk that it convinced her to just stop drinking altogether because she couldn't stand to get that blackout drunk. And of course, this is on the show. It's like uh, five times, not just once, but five times oh on the same show. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. This needs to be... Uh- available separately yeah i know they need to do like a separate like blu-ray release of nothing but like the best of jen kirkman Uh, on drunk history or something like that so uh yeah so um what's the state of stand-up comedy right now coming out of this pandemic with the inability to tour and how that maybe has affected you guys and 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 the entire industry of stand-up comedy uh what's the status of things now? And then you got to loop in cancel culture and everything like that. And uh, where are we with uh, stand-up these days? I think it's, you know, the thing is, is that uh, for the speech, I wish things, in the old days when we give the speech, it was actually easier because they were still doing sitcoms on, on, uh, on that major networks. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still, it was like you could make, and everything, people were kind of aware of what's coming out. Now everything is so like spread out but I actually do think there are more great comics now than I've ever seen. And also because when I started, you know, you couldn't like uh, Rosie O'Donnell couldn't say she was gay, you know, like Ellen could, I mean, there were so many things that now those walls have been broken down. Yeah. So I think in many ways now is like uh, the best time to be a comic in certain ways. But uh, it was so weird because when I, when I went into the quarantine, I, that's when I finally put this album out, the hence the humor I had, yes. I had because of the OCD problems, I had just not put it out. And then, uh, because I kept thinking, I want a physical copy of this. And now that's the last thing I want hmm. is someone to come up after a show with a diseased <laughs> copy of some journey thing hmm. and have me interact. I uh, I was in a way hoping this would never end because I, I really don't know if I, I want to interact. Yeah. Yeah. Again. 
Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, speaking of Jen Kirkman again, I might as well just bring her on. Jen Kirkman. She was in the. She was shooting a special <laughs> across the hall. Now, uh, she just did a video in which she was talking about how she likes how post COVID or you know post you know we're we're not necessarily post COVID, but we're into a phase where things are a little bit more relaxed, and she feels yeah, like yeah, the sun's coming out a little bit. But she still likes the distance, the you know the social distancing and the mask wearing and all that. I think that's a pretty good policy moving forward. I have not been on a plane, that I, but yep. now I'm totally vaccinated. So, but um, it, it was weird because I, you know, not to bring everybody down, but I had a, last year was a rough year. Mm. I, I like like uh, I lost my dad in 2015. I lost my mom and sister last year, and right when the pandemic started. Oh my god! The most annoying. Yeah, I was really, and it was really long. But it, the thing that was so. Uh, annoying about it was that the I had to keep explaining to people no they did not die from COVID right. I understand that that sounds like they should have but here you're trying to explain something you have to spend two other two extra minutes I can assure you it was not from COVID so <laughs> yeah you felt like you had to justify that it wasn't COVID right yeah yeah it's like uh, uh, so it was really I mean it, I mean that was a big change I'd gone so many years where. Uh, all my family members were intact, and I, you know, sometimes would wish a couple of them would get ill. Mm-hmm. But now it's me and my brother. Yeah, I didn't mean to bring you down, Bob. <laughs> That's, <okay. laughs> That's fine. That's fine. All right. Uh, well, I'm the bad guy now. I'm the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, was your family? Were your folks supportive of your stand-up career? I mean, was there? Was there a moment when uh, you kind of came to a mutual understanding, like, you know what, I'm going to pursue this as a career now because I feel like I can make money by standing on a stage and being funny. Do you support this? And what was your parents' reaction to that? Well, they never, my parents were in some ways great because they they didn't uh, ever say you can't do this or Mm -hmm. you can't do that. But on the other hand, it was that they didn't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they were a little bit, you know, I, I, you know, it's like my dad was very supportive of me being a comedian. I was a musician before I was a comedian. He that he wasn't he wasn't as uh, supportive of, but uh, but they were never like the saying you couldn't do it. They just yeah. weren't going to help you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Do, you, do whatever you believe in, <laughs> but it, I'm not going to help you in any way. Is there a thing, Andy, with music and comedy? It just seems like there are so many funny people who are also really good at playing music, too, or um, at least they dabble in both worlds. Uh, have you noticed any sort of like characteristic or personality trait that that extends between the worlds of comedy and music? Like some stand-ups want to be rock stars and rock stars want to be stand-ups, et cetera. Uh, is there an overlap there? Oh, yeah, there definitely is. I mean, in in terms of if you wanted to be the idea that comedy was ever going to be uh, like you as cool as as uh, rock and roll was in the sixties or seventies, mm. I never thought that would happen, and I was and I was right. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not it's not as cool, but there's but absolutely there's so much crossover, and uh, you know it has to probably do with all the timing and all of the, and the rhythm and. Uh, and and also the improv is like I grew up I was a huge uh, deadhead yeah. when I uh, when I grew up so I kind of I loved the the dead for the fact that they were they were improvising um, so there really is that crossover although I think I feel bad for for musicians sometimes because you know I was a songwriter before 
I was a, a comic, but music, comics always want musicians. We want musicians to say, hi, can you tell me I'm also good at music? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't work. They, you want that. That's something that we want in life is that feedback that we're okay, but it's, it's not, it's not a comfortable place to put, put musicians in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems tell like me I'm good. Yeah. Well, there's, I think, you have the feature of performing live that I think is extraordinarily addictive and in a very, very good way, I think. And so, um, of course, it can manifest in very, very bad ways as well, because, you know, be, having that adulation from a large group of people uh, and, and if you're not wired for it, uh, we've seen the self-destructiveness that can also come with that, whether you're yeah. a stand up or you're a rock star. And so it seems like that's one of the common aspects of it, that desire to uh, perform in front of people uh, between those two worlds. And so that seems like the the common element. But I think there's I, I want to say comedy comes from a similar part of the brain as musicianship does. I think, does. I think does. you're absolutely. I think you're, and the perfect combination to me is someone like Randy Newman, yeah. who actually is. Uh, I mean, because that's so rare. I didn't know these songs like "Sail Away" were about slavery and that he was. I, I mean, this guy was writing about things that were so incredible, you know, like amazing sarcasm and things like that. So, and also he was. I remember watching him in concert. And he was pretty funny because I think a lot of uh, musicians are funny. Yeah. So it, it does seem like it's part of the same uh, muscle type of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It comes from the same muscle. You know, weirdly enough. I'm sorry, I said muscle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, weirdly enough, Randy Newman does a song and it's a comedy song about Vladimir Putin. It, I don't know if you ever heard it, but it's hysterical. I mean, when we're done here, you got to go to YouTube or whatever, look up Randy Newman's Putin song because it's. I think I heard it once. Yeah, I think I did, but no, I'll check it out. <laughs> that's that's one you really have to dig deep to find the comedy in Vladimir Putin, unless you're talking about the picture where he's riding horseback with his shirt off or something like that. Yeah. Something that's well, that we all. <laughs> That's what we all love. <laughs> right. So uh, this is obviously a, a hot button issue, uh, especially uh, for funny people. But have you ever felt creatively stymied by the rise of cancel culture? Um, you know, the thing is, it's like it's one of those things where no, I, I personally have, haven't. Yeah. And I know it becomes like a thing now the Republicans are using. But mm -hmm. it's really I don't I think I I think it doesn't really exist like people are saying it exists. Yeah. But then I think sometimes it does. It does. Sometimes it does exist. So yes. it's like, you know, if you wanted to have someone go to see David tell, they may not get where he's coming from. So sometimes I, but then sometimes it's like Seinfeld where he was like, get, got upset. And he's like, I'm, I can't do colleges anymore because he had this joke where he said, and the guy was op operating his, phone like a, 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 a French, a gay French king, you know? <laughs> and it wasn't like he got booed, yeah. but people didn't, you know, rise up and carry him off with their shoulders. And that to me is like, you know, at some point, you're just gonna, those jokes about guys looking gay or they're just not gonna be funny anymore. Yeah. If you look back at Carson and, and Letterman in the, uh, in the 70s and 80s, how, how homophobic they were, mm -hmm. it was like, it was just part of the thing. It doesn't mean it doesn't make them bad, but it's like things you outgrow. And and I think a lot of times that's what it is. It's like people going, I can't do my uh, 
my my stuff about Chaz Bono anymore. No, mm-hmm. you can't because it's not funny anymore to go. Not, did you, when I was when I was uh, first starting in comedy, I heard someone go, uh, "Oh, nice to see you back in men's clothes." You know, like <laughs> someone in the audience. I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, th- th- that's just the truth. That's just the truth of things. And uh, but then again, there is that things people get shamed i mean i remember that story about a woman who made some stupid joke and by the time she got off the plane she had lost her job in africa or something like that she said some offhand thing so i i definitely think that the idea of shaming people is still a bad you know it still can be something that gets out of hand well it seems to me as if and in fact i think uh i heard seinfeld say something along these lines uh much more recently which is that you know what ultimately you can still tell jokes you can still find a way to do your act you just have to work a little bit harder to avoid some of the landmines and that's that challenge should be something that's embraced by comics you know the the ability to be able to zig and zag around all of these things yeah. and and certainly the other thing is there is no there is no giant hook on stage left coming out to drag you off stage if you say something offensive. You can still say offensive things. You can still tweak and push people's buttons, it seems to me. But you also have to realize, too, that the swinging door of free speech goes both ways. As much as you have free that's speech on stage, so does the audience. And that's the challenge, that's I think. That's the key thing that you just said, was that the fact that a lot of it is that the comics don't want the audience going, I hate your fucking, you know, I hate that. I'm sorry, that point. I yeah. cursed. And the first time I ever cursed on on a radio show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but they'll, uh, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying then. Do you know what I was saying? Uh, <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, God, my mind went on me. I have, that's another ADD thing. I was mentioning that uh, the uh, free speech door swings both ways and that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like comics don't want to hear. Thank you for reminding me. It's comics don't want to hear people say that they don't that object to their comedy. Mm-hmm. It's like objecting to someone's comedy is not not during the show, yeah. obviously, but object. People, you don't have the right to have people not like your comedy and say so. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's what I do. I mean, because that's. The people I hate, I talk about them all the time. I'm not going to not, that's not free speech. Like they just get to have an unopposed. Because I mean, a lot of comics used to say like, you think the stage is a magic erasing area mm-hmm. where, you know, like you get a free pass, but you yeah. just don't. Yeah. I mean, it seems to make more sense to me to approach it similarly to what you just said, which is that um, it's not always cool to shame someone. But at the same time, if you make it um, a First Amendment argument, like a free speech argument, then you run into the problem where, for example, I'm a podcaster and I've got free speech. I can say what I want to say on my show. I just have to be prepared for the ramifications because at the same time, my listeners also have free speech and they can say what they want. But it seems like, Andy, it's always been like that. I mean, you mentioned Lenny Bruce earlier. I think Lenny Bruce, you know, ran straight up against it and uh, in a very serious way where he was dealing with blue laws, where it was actually against the law to say some of the things that he was saying and facing the consequences for it, which he also did. It wasn't like he was, you know, thinking that he should somehow avoid, you know, the penalty for what he was saying. He was just saying it. He was deliberately pushing the boundaries, right? Absolutely. And and uh, and that's the thing, too, is like that was a, that was a dangerous time 
And also mm-hmm. what Zappa was talking about, like he was against all of the warning, you know, because all the things in the movies were like they would censor for uh, sexual stuff, but they wouldn't censor for violent stuff. Yeah. And all of those things, of course, went back to the 30s and the Hayes Commission. And those that was just out and out censorship. But on the other hand, if I have, a you know, Andy Kindler's uh, TV station, I don't have to put on the Nazi hour. <laughs> I don't have to put on the right. skinhead uh, afternoon. I, I'm not obligated as a person who owns a station to put on things that I think are horrible, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's where it gets, that's where it's like, it, 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 it never was free speech when they were saying it's like Trump does not have a right to be on Twitter. It's He has a right to say what he wants without the government arresting him. Yeah, exactly but right. It's not free speech to, you know, and I know it's, a, it's it's dicey too because it's the gray areas and it's not so simple. But yeah, yeah. Well, it is, yeah. and that's that's also the thing that there is a lot of gray in there. There are exceptions. There are rules. And, you know, I think a lot of people try to define it as one way or another. Either I get to say everything I want or else, you know, or I just can't do my job. And it seems that's very limiting, no matter what it is you're doing, whether you're just a person, an quote unquote influencer on social media or a podcaster or a stand up comic or a writer on a TV show. Uh, It seems to me as if those limitations also challenge you to find a new way to make people laugh or it shouldn't be so much like let's let's just scream at the limitation. It should be. All right. Let's find a way to tweak people while sidestepping, while flanking that limitation. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, same, same. It makes total sense. The same thing, like in the work. Same thing with like in the workplace. Yeah. People like you know, like, oh, I can't joke around. Uh, I can't uh, make horrible jokes or whatever because yes, it's true. Like when three or four comics are hanging around yeah. and we know who we are, we we know no one's going to get insulted. We may say everything. Mm-hmm. We may say anything. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you get. But that, that doesn't mean that in a work environment you get to be racist or you get to be sexist or you get to be. You know, uh, it, you know, it, it, there are. It's a different world than it was yeah. forty years ago, and and thank God, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, and, you know, because all of those limitations are in areas like because that's why I think is really dangerous with the right wing and the uh, white supremacy, and is when you get into these when they start on trans people mm-hmm. and they start. It's like they're always looking for new people to pick on oh yeah yeah that are weak you know that thinking but it's all about it's all about getting people who are like yeah that guy looks funny i don't know uh, he's got long hair you know, it's like <laughs> instead of saying i don't know and I'm, i want to find out they'll encourage you to say you know i don't know what that is but it's bad and yeah. have to be stopped. Yeah, I, I'm not cracking any uh, impenetrable nut here by saying this, but the fact is that one of the reasons why conservatives really can't be funny is because they're always punching down, right? They're always going Absolutely. after some disadvantaged, oppressed group, and they think it's still funny to go, you know, to point and go tee-hee at a trans woman or whatever. They, for them, right. that's hysterical. And that's why like guys like Greg Gutfeld will always have an extremely limited audience because of that. And you kind of go, even if you don't realize the idea of how punching down is bad, I think we still instinctively recognize it. Don't you think? I think so. And also just the idea of uh, it's in, in, back in the seventies, back in the eighties, I hate, I was never like the Republicans, but they at least had, 
it sounded they had some they would get something that had some realism but now they're like and then they would be into death but now they're like we can't eat meat or whatever they whatever <laughs> was going around that they thought it's yeah. such an obvious lie uh-huh. but now they seem to be saying we know we're lying we're happy with lying and uh let's rock i mean it's oh like- yeah that's the thing andy about the bubble mentality that we live in now where with uh red hat conservatives like trump supporting republicans they know by this point that their entire audience that all of their voters are all locked in this bubble and nothing is pushing through that surface tension so what happens is they can say whatever the fuck they want to those people and they'll all believe it. And that's the damaging thing. And, and the thing that is, yeah. uh, that we're seeing all the negative ramifications of whether it's Q or the insurrection that occurred in January and all points in between. That's the, uh, the real danger is that, that bubble mentality. And one of the things that is circulating this bubble mentality, one of the bullshit things is that Republicans hate cancel culture. And they did the whole CPAC convention. The whole theme of CPAC this year was hating cancel culture. And what are they doing today? What did they do today? They canceled yeah, Liz, Liz Cheney. Cheney. Right? I know. It's just a, it's un, well, I really think this Kevin McCarthy is maybe one of the, you know, like these people who were like, they didn't know much about it and they were so quickly happy about being evil. They're dangerous. They, they, those guys worry me because yeah. they literally have no scruples. Right, right. That's just it. Well, let me, uh, before we wrap up here, Andy, let me uh, ask you about your podcast, Thought Spiral, uh, which is which is one of my favorites. And one of the reasons why oh, it's one wow. of my favorite That's podcasts, beautiful. you and uh, Jay Elvis Weinstein, Josh, uh, you guys, when you start that show sometimes, it is one of the weirdest, like, let's just say, for example, one of the weirdest five minutes you're ever going to hear <laughs> in podcasting. And there's lo- lots of variety. In po- I mean, you can get all kinds of podcasts, but the first five minutes of every episode of Thought Spiral, it takes me a couple of minutes to just go, okay, let me, what are they, what are they saying here? It's there's, <laughs> there's singing and there's random words and it's really funny and weird. It is a, an incredible thing. How did you, uh, how'd you end up connecting with Josh? To do the show, I've known Josh since I, I've known him like since the '90s, yeah. uh, early '90s, with all those guys, like the freaks and geeks guys, and uh, all like alternative comedy guys. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've known him. Then I moved to the Valley in 2014, and mm-hmm. I lived literally two blocks away from him. And then one, he suggested it, like, uh, uh, and I just was, you know, it was one of those things. Like I thought about doing it, but I'd never done it. So then like, we used to go over to his house and we would advertise the show as two Jews, two microphones, two hours. <laughs> and we just decided early on that we didn't want that we didn't want to go the route of getting guests because it would be, you know, just be too. You know, we decided on a certain format. Yeah. And then it just, you know, it's like the reason why it got even more stranger is because now we don't I don't go to his house. We do everything on the phone. Yep. So, uh, so that's why we have like two or three times a week. And then, uh, I get to do uh phone humor. <laughs> that's right. Hello. Hello. Hello, Josh. Whatever the thing is. <laughs> hey, is this phone number Klondike five, three, eight, seven, six, or, you know, <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of comedy, and, lots of phone comedy. <laughs> and also the, the running thing is how annoying, how I annoy, Josh and how he reacts to it. That's, I would say that's the, that's the attraction of the show. 
Yeah, that's my show. I, I just I see how badly I can annoy my co-hosts. That's a great approach to, <laughs> to have. always entertaining. Oh my god! You know, I heard uh, yesterday that it, uh, he might be returning to uh, the new Mystery Science Theater with uh, Joel Hodgson. Is he? Uh, is he? Do you hear anything behind the scenes? Do you have any scoops along those lines? And is there any chance you join him and Joel on that show? Well, I know the uh, the latter question. I will not be joining him because uh, I mean, I'm, it's not that I'm been banned, but they, <laughs> I never was involved, so I yeah. doubt that they'd ask me. But I know he's doing at least one episode and maybe more, so he's very excited. About that. Let me one last question for you, Andy. I mean, we talked about some of the uh, the comics that we don't like. We talked about one of your favorites, Jen Kirkman. Who is the best working comic right now? You know, that's a tough one. Yeah, I would say. James, I think maybe James Adomian. James Adomian is a genius. Yes. Yes. I, I, I just the level. If you go on, if you go on to Instagram, he does an impression of Elon Musk's eyes. <laughs> he does Elon Musk's eyes. That's great. Yeah, it's like just his the upper part of his head, and he doesn't even say anything. He just looks to the left, looks to the right. And it's unbelievable. I, 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 I've been crazy about him for years, but yeah. I really think there's been nobody like him the way he does voices and inhabits the people. Oh, he, d- he does the greatest uh, Chris Matthews, the greatest Bernie Sanders <laughs> impression. Yeah. I, he did a Chris Matthews thing with uh, Tony Atamanek as Trump, where they're talking about all of Trump's products, and including the Trump catheter. And then someone comes along and sticks the Trump catheter inside Chris Matthews, who's played by James Adomian. It's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> and then he does a bit, then oh, he does a bit as Bernie on um, the president show, which is Tony Atamanek's uh, Comedy Central show there for a couple of years. When he's doing Bernie, just saying 1%, it cracks me up. Just 1%, 1%. Yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, Tony Atamanek, when he's playing Trump, uh, has James Adomian there on the set as Bernie Sanders, and he goes, oh, is that uh, pixie dust on your shoulders? And he goes, no, it's cracker crumbs. <laughs> yes, it's cracker crumbs. I hosted one of their debates. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So exactly. immensely funny, those two. Unbelievable. <laughs> and and afterward, Atomic said to me, he goes, I should have told you that I don't go out of character. Because I thought he hated me as Trump. <laughs> I was hosting it. <laughs> But occasionally he would. I've seen him on his show break character during an interview as Trump, but that's also uh, very, very funny. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. He didn't mean it like Jim Carrey meant it with the, you know, like, okay, Jim, you were Andy Kaufman for three months. Yeah. No, right. he, mean, he, he meant it more like he was going to, he forgot to tell me how mean that he was to the host. That's what it was. He forgot to say beforehand, I'm going to be very mean. I to see. You. <laughs> and so I just thought, oh my God, I'm hosting this horrible. Like, he's really. <laughs> <laughs> well, the album is called Hence the Humor. I've got a link in the description at bobseska.com. The podcast is Thought Spiral. Of course, you get that wherever you get your podcasts on the dozens of different platforms for finding your favorite podcast. Thank you so much, Andy. And uh, feel free to eat all the bread you want. You have my permission. Absolutely. It was such great. It was so great talking to you. And if you could get that part where my mind went completely blank, I think my therapist might want to hear that one <laughs> section. All right, my friend. It was so great talking to you. And uh, thanks Thank for you, taking some time out today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye bye.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.